Hello, hello, and welcome to another hometown daily news show. I am Mayor Watt, and today we are going to be talking about, well, the resolution of that radioactive radioactive capsule. A, a judge is getting wordy with some inflammatory words, apparently. City planners are questioning parking garages. Corsair and their new power supply get interesting. AMD is, I guess, it's called artificial scarcity. We'll talk about it. Netflix is introducing spatial audio. ChatGPT is going to get pricey. Environmental Group is uh, looking side-eye at... Uh, California uh, almonds and alfalfa. ConAgra is doing a recall. You know how fast it takes for you to like a song? Well, some scientists know. And um, there's another chat GPT lawyer. And Chick-fil-A is so popular that a that the traffic got so bad that they had to that they're ordered now to tear down. <laughs> a fast food joint. So let's get into today's articles. Hello, hello. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com and the booming voice from on high. It is the great and wonderful AI that runs hometown. You want to introduce yourself? Good evening, hometown citizens. I feel like from the Wizard of Oz or something with that introduction. That's pretty much how I feel. But we know that you're doing great things behind the curtain. So that's what that the synthesizer up there is. The See right here. <laughs> the great and powerful Oz. Uh, so let's get into the articles real quick. We've got 12 articles. I already did a little rundown uh, for them. Uh, I, I'd love to say that there was some really cool and exciting things that have gone on in hometown, but um, really what's going on behind the scenes is just more construction. It really is a, a work in progress. Like every town, there's always potholes and, and roads that need to be fixed. And the school system is... Uh, kind of, I don't know, um, I'd say par. It's at, nah, I'll just leave it all alone. I can't drag this on anymore. Let's get into the news. That's what we're here for. So the very first article is uh, a missing radioactive capsule found on a roadside in Western Australia after a week-long search. We talked about this uh, yesterday, uh, maybe the day before, maybe a uh, day before that. Uh, maybe a week before that. And, you know, we're always talking about this because it's just kind of interesting that a radioactive capsule was seemingly stuck on the uh, dash of a car and it made a left-hand turn and slid off the dash onto the roadside in Australia and some roo picked it up and went hopping through the bush. That's where we got the title for this episode. Slip another radioactive capsule on the Barbie for you. I'm not going to do an Australian accent because I haven't heard one for a while and I just can't do it justice. Well, the device used in Rio Tinto's mining operations fell off uh, the back of a truck. I have yet to go 
digging as to why they have a radioactive capsule. Um, I, I seem to recall hearing about that before in mining, um, but it slipped my mind. I don't know. I have to mine my memory to pull it back. So it fell off the back of a truck as it was being taken by a third party specialist for repairs. I'm not sure about if it's the capsule or if it's the truck that was getting repairs. But anyway, this is over at CNBC and Jenny Reed is the author of this. Can't really say much about it other than that it was done. Um, you know, it fell off. They found it. Uh, maybe some ground was radio irradiated. But beyond that, um, everything is cool. It says the stainless steel six millimeter by eight millimeter device is part of a gauge that is used for measuring the density of iron ore feed. So there's the answer. And the company's iron ore chief executive, Simon Trott, on Monday apologized for causing alarm. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. it's alarm. I mean, it was a nation, nationwide search, so it's kind of a big deal. I was just going to say that uh, this should have been on the January 27th episode um, titled Missing Tiny Deadly Radioactive Capsule Spurs Nationwide Search in Australia. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really sorry that I'm causing alarm about that deadly radioactive capsule that in other stories that I've read since then have ended up eliminating people. But hey, my bad. Let's move on to the next article. Oh, wait, and before I do that, let me just go back a little bit so that I can throw this into the VOD so that you can actually see the URLs. Although, like it says in the chat, go to ometown.showbot.tv. You can vote for these articles. Um, and yeah, I already I, I introduced the author. So the AI uh, on the back end of this uh, notifies me via um, command line interface responses. Um, hey, Marwat, you need to give credit where credit is due. But I had already done that. So I need to work on the multitasking of the AI. Never mind. Now I'm getting. You know, it's really difficult for an AI to uh, give you the evil eye. And there it is. Um, so let's move on to the next article. I will throw this one into chat real quick. And there you go, folks. Um, federal judge bans potentially inflammatory words such as yahoos and fake news. Apparently some others too. lawyers in a case in Eastern District of Texas can't refer to jurors, the court or the jury pool as yahoos or by other. I guess it. Uh, what is it? Um, inflammatory derogatory references. Okay, so here is the here's the article, which I think treads dangerously close to the embodiment of a First Amendment violation um, because it isn't just some shop owner saying, hey, you can't refer to anybody as a Yahoo. This is actually the federal judge, right? So you are in direct violation of the First Amendment. I should be able to say whatever I want to say in the court when it is in. It's a judgment on from me as a citizen. I can say that this person is a Yahoo. I can say that the judge is whatever that you can find me in contempt, but I can almost promise you that it's not going to go well because I'm not you know, casting aspersions. I'm not sitting there saying, and if I call you a Yahoo, all that is, is an exclamation that you're a Yahoo. 
I'm not sitting there saying that you're uh, the Zodiac killer and or anything like that. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just calling you a name. And if you're a federal judge, you can't hobble my speech. Um, not as a standard practice, not really as an embodiment of a policy or procedure. You could request it. But, you know, if you're an attorney, your station really does demand you to be a little bit more professional in your demeanor. But that's still not for the judge to say as a as a potentially inflammatory words. I can't even get to the article's title. Oh, the AI is just sitting there going tick tock, tick tock. Come on, get to it, Marwat. Federal judge bans potentially inflammatory words such as yahoos and fake news. This is over at the ABAjournal.com by Deborah Cassens Weiss. And it says here, uh, lawyers in a case in the Eastern District of Texas can't refer to jurors, the court, or the jury pool as yahoos or by other similar derogatory references according to a motion granted by the federal judge last month. Nor can the lawyers refer to the plaintiff as a, a patent factory or its case as fake news according to a December 20th uh, order by Chief U.S. District Judge Rodney Gilstrap of the Eastern District of Texas. Lawyers may, however, refer to the case as frivolous in closing arguments to attack the opponent's arguments. Um, how gracious. Well, if I'm, if I am speaking to the jurors and I'm speaking their language that they understand, that they grasp, that they have an affinity to, you are giving me grounds to appeal because I'm no longer allowed to speak the language of the citizenry that, to which this court, this august body has drawn them to for me to speak on behalf of my client and give a robust defense or offense, whichever side it is that's being hobbled here. And I don't want to even get into which side because I can imagine that one is saying yahoos and the other one is saying patent factory and another one is saying fake news and basically it's a whole bunch of people throwing names around but again if it speaks to the audience I should have the right to say whatever I damn well please as long as it isn't patently offensive like throwing cuss words around and other things that are demeaning of my station think this was a good argument and it wasn't even referring to somebody such as the other party it was saying they thought that their own party were yahoos like it just it wasn't even an offensive use of it it's not like hey you yahoos over there so doesn't this reach into what somebody with a little bit more moderate response would refer to as uh approaching morality police well yes and i was also just thinking this contradicts the zealous representation of your client again i don't think it's stepping over any line on behalf of the judge you don't think that this steps over a line by the judge oh i think the judge's behavior does but i don't think the attorney's behavior does from the article and gotcha. if there is a problem with the attorney's behavior, the state bars will address it. 
or you can address it in a manner that's commensurate with your position as a judge. You don't sit there and hobble people's freedom of speech, particularly as a federal judge. Anyway, jurors ruled uh, for the Chamberlain group on January 27th in the retrial and awarded $46.1 million in damages. And the other defendant in the case is GMI Holdings. Um, this actually is, a, <laughs> this is, okay. When you think about garage door openers, you don't think $46.1 million anything, right? No, uh, but anyway, that is, um, actually what it is, a lawyer for the overhead door corporation, one of the defendants had told jurors in the first trial that the Chamberlain group filed this suit in Marshall, Texas, because they think we are yahoos in East Texas. They think we won't use our common sense. According to Bloomberg law, the defense had also compared the Chamberlain group to a patent factory. This is exactly how I described the language. They were speaking to the potential, but not to the potential, but to the jurors, the ones who have to understand the context of the case. So you don't go in there talking about, um, you know, neurosurgery. If you are talking to uh, a, a bunch of I, I don't know. I, I don't want to like diminish anyone's knowledge of something else, but we're not all the same, but you speak the, when you do a presentation, you present to the audience, you read the room and you apply your knowledge in a way where they can understand it and grasp it. I don't talk to business owners. Like I talk to grade school students. I don't talk to high school students. Like I talk to college students, you speak to the audience. I think that this judge went way beyond what they're supposed to be doing as a judge. And I'm surprised that it was just left like this. I really am going to be surprised if I don't see another article from Deborah Casson's wife about this judge in the near future um, being reprimanded for hobbling freedom of speech. I also think we're going to see appeals because if one of the sides that was reprimanded and banned from using something, they're gonna claim it harmed their case. Hell, even even if they did, like they could actually speak to this, even if they won, they could sit there and say, this judge went beyond what they should be allowed to do by hobbling speech. Because if we could have used this speech, we could have won more. Yeah, I think there's more to it, but we'll see. Let, we'll, we'll, let's go on to the next article. That way we're not bound in this one article for 45 minutes because I can feel that soapbox getting taller and taller. Um, the next article is in the four wheel tech channel. Uh, city planners are questioning the point of parking garages. So this article was submitted uh, to uh, us and I, I'm really curious where this is going to go because it says for the past century, the public and private sector appear to have agreed on one thing. The more parking, the better. I agree because it's really impossible to park in downtown anywhere unless they have adequate parking garages, because it's not like you can park far afield and then trek your way in. Um, no. So as a, 
Yeah. As a result, cities were built up in ways that devoted valuable space to storing cars, did little to accommodate people who don't own cars, and forced developers to build expensive parking structures that increased the cost of living. Well, that is a byproduct of inadequate parking and no mass transit or mass transit where you have to risk, you know, I don't know, slipping on pee or having to deal with uh, people who are belligerent because uh, you aren't belligerent um, or all manner because it takes a village, right? Two assumptions undergird urban parking policy without convenient parking car owners would be reluctant to patronize businesses and absent a dedicated parking spot for their vehicle. They'd be less likely to rent and buy homes um, because parcels of urban land are usually small and pricey. Developers will would build uh, multi-story garages. And so today, uh, a glut of these bulky concrete boxes clutter America's densely populated cities. Well, you want to resolve this, build a teleporter. Or allow people to telework. Son of a bitch. What? Wait, I said an adult word 17 minutes into the stream, so I guess I'm past the eight-minute window. Kevin J. Krizik and John Hershey, I think that's their name from The Conversation, which is a blog. Um, not a blog. It's, a, it's actually a site and a podcast. Um, anyway, the car's grip over city planning has been difficult to dislodge. Not post-pandemic, if you uh, have progressive leadership. I'm looking at the House of Representatives right now. Um, so this is over at ArsTechnica.com. Because I was watching today, as a matter of fact, um, U.S. House of Representatives arguing about telework policy um, for government employees and saying everybody is returning back to work. Well, no, actually, they're not. And there are reports that teleworking increased productivity and the quality of that work product, that just the productive level increased by 11%, which is twice as much as any period prior, right? Why? Because work-life balance was superior. You could roll out of bed and wear pajamas and a suit jacket and be prepped for work and have your coffee immediately. Didn't have to drive anywhere. Didn't have to spend time away from family or kids, or taking care of the dog, or having to worry about daycare, or all kinds of stuff. We had a superior quality of life, even during a horrible period of life. Yet, here we are. No, you have to drive for two hours in both directions just to get from your house to a place that's a cubicle that isn't as friendly and, and embracing as your home life. Sure. Make me hot bunk my own desk. You know, that's just so stupid. Anyway, as a result, cities were built up with these big concrete boxes for cars that you don't need if you telework. But that's not what the idea of this article is, right? So many of these regulations continue to bluntly guide development. So you need a parking garage if you are have a building you need an adequate parking it gets more and more difficult because if you're going to build a building somewhere then you have to have and let's say you're going to have 40 stories you're going to have to have x number of parking spots otherwise it'll inundate the uh 
local area and force people to park further and further out, which inconveniences everybody else. A lot of pain and which suffering. And contributes to congestion, et cetera. I mean, you're absolutely right. The mass transportation, I think, is the real key to avoiding this. Unless and until you have adequate and safe and accessible public transportation, I don't see us getting away from parking garages anytime soon. See, and and when you push that idea a little bit further, you have to make it so people feel that they can embrace it. But a lot of people, they their personal space is invaded because they can't they can't prevent the person sitting next to them from oozing into their seat or coughing or uh, them being drunk or stoned or just stupid or whatever. And they have to deal with the ramifications of it. And some people don't want to deal with that and don't want to bother with that. They just want to drive their car in in peace and park and, and that's it. So what is this article really about? It says a 2016 study found that it costs roughly $24,000 to $34,000 to build every single new parking space in a garage, an amount that has surely grown. This is 2016 study, so inflation is probably jacking that up to about $100,000. <laughs> uh, developers typically pass on this expense to renters or buyers, hence city uh, housing is astronomically expensive, and so is uh, not just purchasing a home or a condo, I recently looked at a condo. It was 553 square feet and over a quarter million dollars. And where I was looking is nowhere close to being urban. I mean, it's let's just say rural would be liberal in its definition of what it is well that's interesting because i was thinking it had to be like in the best district in manhattan or something based yeah. on that pricing and square footage but that's crazy i mean well i don't know <laughs> it was a condo in a building that was built in the late 1800s and you were getting 553 square feet of it so you so sneeze too hard modern, and the wall falls off, right? Yeah, like modern electricity, modern plumbing, and plus no. all the neighbor noises. and None of that. None of that. Unless it was gold-plated inside, this was a ridiculous amount of money. Um, not to mention, obviously, no on-site parking, no assigned parking, no nothing. It was a condo that actually didn't have any. It was just, it was a, a, a local town, so... Um, at any rate, so do cities still need to require construction of parking spots for new residential and retail projects? Aren't developers, designers, and investors better positioned to worry about these issues for customers, clients, and tenants? Well, they're talking about regulation reform in this article um, where they eliminated downtown and proposed certain uh, reconstruction efforts. Uh, developers are now finding ways to accommodate growing numbers of residents who are foregoing ownership all to the uh, car ownership altogether, um, which uh, master planned communities allow a small amount of people to work and live in the area. You basically have a shop underneath where you live, but you can't do that everywhere, obviously. Um, but it's a possible solution. Um, 
and then it kind of goes into other issues um what do you do with existing garages that suck up um, choice real estate you demolish them or you turn them into something else that would be odd to turn them into something else considering they'd have to be rehabbed in a way that isn't really conducive to use because there's long tranches of downward sloping road uh, i'm not sh quite sure how they you know how you can get from one level to another it's actually a pretty steep incline or decline whichever way you want to walk up or down it so it would basically be like san francisco hills <laughs> and you're building shops into this space maybe it could be a walking track for people <laughs> oh know. it could be an, a gym because you just run up all the way to the top and then you run back down and you run exactly. back up you make and everybody... don't do that while there are cars in a parking garage that would be very dangerous <laughs> It's all part of the parkour experience. So Spatian Cities is precious. The more human oriented it can be, the better, according to this article. Um, I, I'm kind of stuck in the middle because I think that we don't need to be vertical as much. And then there are people that are like, but urban sprawl, urban sprawl. Well, there is so much land that I don't think that urban sprawl is really a problem. When you, uh, the other day I, I witnessed um, a cliff face fall um, in San Diego, California, and you watch it and you're like, my God, that thing is just massive. Look at that. I mean, it's going to kill people if they get any closer. And it was really fascinating to watch. And people were really just like, well, hey, look, it's falling again. Um, but then the camera zoomed out and 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 it was nothing it was a speck it showed up because it was a, a well-known beach but other than that this didn't impact anybody's reality in any uh, <laughs> any way to make it newsworthy so i really think just like that urban sprawl to me is uh, overestimated if we can make or I should say it's it's a non-issue to me because I think what needs to happen is we make our housing, our urban sprawl more in tune with nature, with more natural products so that they're almost invisible to nature. They are integrated into it and not how they are right now, which is a bunch of sticks and plastic that when the wind blows too hard, the roof flies off, the, the walls cave in and people are hurt but if we take natural material and a binding agent 3d print the buildings and put a door on it you're basically living in a hobbit hole and you can become one more with nature than this ostentatious ugly just pulled out of the ground killing all kinds of trees and doing all kinds of other stuff um, when we have the tools and the technology all we need is building code to catch up so you're really losing all the home builder sponsors too. I mean, is that their slogan in their brochures for how you describe the houses? <laughs> yeah. Building houses and killing trees in nature. <laughs> yeah, I, somehow I think by the end of uh, my tenure as uh, mayor of Omtown and uh, streaming, uh, what's going to end up happening is there is nobody that's willing to sponsor anything here. Um, 
hometown will be just destroyed. Okay, let's let's move on to the next um, article, right? The next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. Corsair just made power supplies interesting, which uh, the author didn't realize was possible. I've always found power supplies fascinating, by the way, because uh, growing up, they were big and bulky, had to be in a certain spot and had this massive umbilical. I wish I could show you this basically is it's like your arm. It's just this huge tentacle coming out and uh, you had to wrap it around certain things and do it just right. Otherwise, it would obliterate airflow. And now they're the wires are thinner and they're the right gauge to still facilitate moving that amount of voltage. Um, but if you don't want a certain cable in place, you can just pluck it out of the power supply and set it aside until you add a device that requires that little cable. And it's called a modular, modular power supply. So I'm really curious what this new power supply is and it's from Corsair. So let's go straight over to the source and that's, um, pcgamer.com and what is the person's name? Jorge Jimenez. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'm just teasing the AI because I've been saying the name wrong for the last year and a half. Anyway, Jorge Jimenez uh, wrote this article for PCGamer.com and it's the RMX shift is looking to make building your PC better. And so that's what a modular power supply looks like. Um, can y'all see it? Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, um, it has these little connectors and each one of these connectors is related to a type of connector on the motherboard. And so you plug one in, if you need it, you run the wire around the perimeter of the case. So it doesn't obstruct airflow. And then you plug it into the motherboard or to whatever, um, is requiring that because not everything plugs into the, um, motherboard. So they have this little picture of it right here um, in the bottom right corner um, showing exactly what I'm describing. Only certain cables get plugged in for certain functions. I love this. I want this. I actually have a modular power supply on all of my PCs um, and uh, well, hometown isn't run by just one. So um, I think that this is just brilliant. The better, the, the more capable the power supply, the more modular it is. Um, let's, let's see, let's see what it says. It says a standard power supply usually has its connectors on the rear of the unit. The shift PSU has theirs on the side, uh, which should make it easier for you to access the power cables while promoting better cable management, which isn't a strong suit for some PC builders and the author admits them included. Oh, so that's what the real difference is when they the name is more apropos so the shift PSU um, and so on this one the power supply connectors are on the side so when it's in your case it actually already is running the cables down the back of the, the case instead of having to run it towards the front of the computer um, because of the way that people mount mother uh, not motherboards but power supplies there is a fan on one side of the power supply and air gets sucked from one side of the power supply through that fan and gets exhausted. Um, 
but on the other side of that fan is the actual connectors. So now they've shifted it over to the side and that side is usually right up against the back of the case. So then you can just run your cables either um, directly down or and into the motherboard or wrap it around in some way, but you can do better cable management. And uh, I don't think most people will run it towards the front. It, it depends. I have to look at more pictures and that is not the right video. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's on the side, then you have the ability to hide those cables entirely. And that opens up airflow uh, dramatically. So it says Corsair says it's tested the RMX shift uh, in all current Corsair cases to guarantee compatibility. It should fit in third party cases as long as they have 210 millimeters uh, of width, providing enough side clearance to run the cable. So if this is actually running into the main cavity of the case, um, that might be a little awkward because of you having to get to other things. Um, and it might cross it, the cables might extend into where cooling systems might be. It gets a little bit busy in terms of, um, the architecture and design, but at any rate, um, the 750 X shift is 150 bucks and the, uh, 1200 X is uh, 270 bucks. Nowadays, if you have anywhere close to the 40 series NVIDIA graphics card, you're going to want that 1200. But I don't know if they've worked out their bugs with those 400, uh, 40 series graphics cards. They like to set themselves on fire. Um, you want to move on to the next article? Okay. Yeah, the AI that runs Ohmtown uh, doesn't really care about power supplies because... Uh, they are, they're running, running off of, uh, quantum singularity power. Um, I have a, a spinning pair of, um, black holes and that's what powers the AI that runs Ohmtown. I could show you how this works, but if I do show you, it will expose us to the black hole. We'll get sucked in. All and we wouldn't races. want that. And we wouldn't want that. We want Ohmtown to exist forever. So AMD is undershipping uh, chips to help prop up prices. And this is what I referred to at the beginning of the show as artificial scarcity. And um, that is actually what happens with a lot of businesses. Um, to me, the business model about doubling the number of transistors on a chip, that's artificial scarcity. People should be doing these massive leaps in technology to attract customers, but that's not what Intel does. Um, Apple did something revolutionary in the way that it released chips when it created the M1. That changed the dynamic, created the M2. That changed the dynamic. Then they revealed between the M1 and M2 that they could actually create connected chips all the way up to the Ultra line, which is just this massive number of transistors and uh, uh, compute power all in one chip that to me was revolutionary but all of this other stuff where it's just okay now we have uh, two more processors and four more cores and blah 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 it's the drip 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 of technology that guarantees a business model not happy customers they're happy because there's a modicum of growth 
a quantum of growth. <laughs> I like that word quantum. Well, AMD undershipping chips creates artificial scarcity, driving up the price, which is what a lot of businesses do. And a lot of businesses that we rely on, like gas companies, oil companies, and other companies that are monopolistic in control. So a duopoly, for instance, can do this a whole lot easier than when there is a, 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 a broad expanse of competitors on the market. Well, there's only AMD and Intel and maybe a couple of others, but they're more niche processors that can't be just thrown onto any old motherboard. So it says here, if you thought the ongoing dip in PC sales that AMD is predicting will last into 2023 uh, could mean falling prices of CPUs and particularly GPUs, we have some bad news. Turns out AMD has been intentionally limiting supplies of its chips and plans to continue to do so. Why? Because people, it's basically metting out supplies to keep a, an income source coming while not flooding the market with too low of a price, thus not maximizing the return on their productivity. I know about this. It's part of business, but saying the quiet thing out loud is disturbing. Well, and this is all about the stockholders, right? Instead of the consumers of the products. Um, I mean, sure, the stockholders want to make a profit, but they could probably still make a profit and the consumers could be happier than they are now. It's the flow of a product from producer to consumer that makes a business function, not the stock price. I wish that people would speak more with their wallet and just frickin turn off the spigot of cash and, and feel that growing pain for a moment. And then when Intel goes, well, we got all of these customers, you know what, turn it off with them too. And we'll do crop rotation until you bastards learn your lesson that it's the consumers that you're supposed to be producing goods for, not the stockholders. We are the stakeholders. We are the ones that have an interest in your ongoing concern. But no, that's not what we get. We get people looking at their stock price because they, the, the business itself now is sitting there sh shifting its assets in and out of its own stock because it buys the stock and then sells the stock. And, 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 and instead of selling the stock and and that's where it got its initial IPO investment. Now it's part and parcel to the manipulation of its own pricing so that it can maximize the stock just so that it can release the stock again, sell the stock again and make arbitrage a little bit of money on each stock sale. I think that it's unethical, but and, and tantamount to insider trading, um, but Apparently not. So during AMD's most recent earnings call, Sue explained how AMD uh, was adjusting its output of PC, CPUs, and GPUs in light of lower demand. Quote, we have been undershipping the sell-through or consumption for the last two quarters, Sue said. We undershipped in Q3. We undershipped in Q4. We will undership to a lesser extent in Q1. Yes, manipulating the actual price to the consumers and 
facilitating what because the prices are higher and there are more there's more income even though the product is being fully compensated in its price and there is juice on the other end of that so that there is growth in the business because there's some money left on the table they're saying jack the prices up more constrain it more so people feel that burn it's like uh from the book dune they they send somebody to dune to squeeze arrakis of all of its spice, uh, spice and in doing so crush the people yeah the ai is connected to dune um okay so you want to add anything else to this because they talk about like crypto mining and blah 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 but really this is all uh profiteering it's it's abusive i think i don't have anything to add gotcha okay so let's um go over to the source uh, jeremy laird lower demand for cpus and gpus but amd is making sure that it doesn't hit um prices so uh, this is over at pc gamer and they're just jacking the price up it's what we were talking about um, but maybe you can go over there um as a, a a reader of the articles after um visiting ohmtown and um maybe suss some nuance out of this uh, because for this business person I, I can tell you and mayor of hometown this just seems to me rather unethical but i'm an ethical capitalist versus step on people's necks so that i can get all of the money on the table before they can grab any or feed themselves so um yes by the way that is better okay so oh that's not what i was referring to when i said yes that is better really bad timing what i was referring to is something between the ai missing and the context <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, if that's a sound bite that's going to get us uh, losing a, another uh possible investor yeah that's going to do it okay so let's move on to the next article um the next article is over in the word in tech and Netflix is going to introduce uh, spatial audio. You know, what everybody else is talking about is the crackdown on shared credentials for Netflix. Um, but so many people are talking about that. Um, that to me, I, I say, well, if everybody is sharing their credentials, Netflix has a right to crack down on it because they are literally losing money that makes them have to drive the prices up if they are ethical capitalists what they do is they crack down on the sharing of credentials they create a plan so that you can actually share an account like for instance um, if you subscribe to youtube you have five uh, members in a family plan they all have their unique logins and and they can log in well when 500 people start sharing five logins for crying out loud, there's a problem here, right? And it isn't that uh, Netflix is cracking down on shared logins. It's that society is sharing their logins. What, is it a pure profit motive that Netflix is raising the prices for everything? Maybe. But maybe it's because everybody is sharing logins. So for every shared login, they're losing $8 per month. And they're talking about hundreds 
or tens of millions of people that are sharing their logins is what I last heard. So let's just go over to The Verge where this article is sourced from and Jess Weatherbed is the author. Um, Netflix introduces spatial audio to a lot more movies and shows. If you've never heard of spatial audio, um, what it amounts to is a broadening and more enveloping soundstage. Um, so premium tier Netflix subscribers can now download content onto two additional devices and have access to spatial audio across 700 titles, over 700 titles. I'm sure as I scroll down through this, it'll say a little bit more specific, a little bit more specific. Um, and by the time I'm done, it'll be a thousand. But so Netflix is introducing two new benefits exclusively for its premium subscribers, rolling out support for spatial audio um, and increasing the number of download devices uh, from four to six. So this is part of their whole family thing, because you can actually have multiple screens um, when you pay a higher tier um, simultaneous. So literally a shared login. Um, the only difference, pardon me one second. The only difference with the shared login is that it's um, uh, geofenced. So if the home base is wherever you are and suddenly somebody in uh, Tiwanaku um, logs in, they're going to go, well, why are you thousands of miles away? I don't know why I said Tiwanaku. But anyway, um, Netflix first introduced the feature in July of last year across a limited number of platform original titles. Now spatial audio will be available across 700 titles, including The Watcher, Wednesday, Glass Onion, Knives Out Mystery, uh, and will be added to new titles as they're released, including You, Your Place or Mine, Luther, The Fallen Sun, Tour de France, etc., etc., etc. Um, pretty neat. And if you get a chance to try on headphones like the Apple um, pros, the, the headphones that are um, closed. The air back, traffic controller type. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's a life changer. It really is. Without going into audiophile like $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 headphones to get the same um at least to me, the same level of quality uh, spatial audio is very immersive. And there are also not only are there movies that do spatial audio, but there are mu there's music and there's copious amounts of music. And there are a lot of artists out there that really take advantage of that uh, soundstage. Every time I say something like that, I think of SNL and more cowbell. Just really explore. I've got a fever. <laughs> the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> and, or in this case, more spatial audio. So yeah, I, I really dig this stuff. Um, way back, I'd say decades ago, there was this uh, there and it still exists. It, they stream online called Hearts of Space, which is a, a space music as it's referred to, right? Just ambient kind of music. It doesn't typically have lyrics. Um, if it actually pivots into spatial audio, um, that would probably be my dream music to sleep by because you could just put on your spatial audio headset and just sink into this uh, really deep, uh, immersive uh, audio. Anyway, that's me gushing about spatial audio. Um, all you do is analyze the waveform and say that you appreciate it, but we're going to come up on something 
where everybody apparently decides if they like music or not in pretty short order. So let's continue on with the articles. Uh, the next article is over in the Stock Marketeers channel. We're going to go through this one really fast because ChatGPT is actually a hot topic in a lot of places. And I think it was yesterday where I said, if ChatGPT charges me for it, guess what I'm going to be doing? I'll be subscribing because I think that was yesterday. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, I would pay 20 bucks a month for premium subscription to chat GPT where it gets priority and maybe more immersive. And I get beta versions of it that allow me to take advantage of the feature set or expansive uh, large language model that uh, augments what it, I, I had already done. I mean, it's just and uh, for what I do uh, as mayor and outside of being mayor, uh, ChatGPT can speed up so much and provide so much more than what I've done in the past. So this, I I'm ready to pay 20 bucks a month. So users of ChatGPT will soon be able to subscribe to a premium tier of the Buzzy Chat uh, bot service, uh, according to its creator. Let's jump right on over to MarketWatch. And um, so the subscription option will provide access to service even during peak times, along with faster response times and earlier access to new features. So it's exactly what I said. And guess what? I can't scroll through here without logging in. So Emily Berry, thanks for the headline, but I won't even go into it. The full title of this article is ChatGPT to charge $20 a month for premium subscriptions as chatbot grows faster than TikTok. You know why? Cause it's actually very, very engaging and interactive. Um, and the, the things that I'm doing on the back end that nobody even knows about right now is awesome. It's just so fascinating. Um, and frictionless 20 bucks is a little bit of friction, but mid journey and chat GPT and a little bit of creativity. And yeah, this thing, this is going to change the creator model. Um, cause you can be a talentless hack and chat GPT will make something more of your skill set. Cause all you have to do is have an idea, throw it in there and your creative juices will be stirred into motion and you'll, oh man, I don't know why my brain said bake a pretty cake. Like, you know that I can't sing that song cause it's not family. Please friendly. don't. <laughs> um, Okay, so let's go on to the next article. Environmental group urges California to limit the growing of almonds and alfalfa because nothing says smart like uh, growing high water consumptive produce and trees. Um, so as drought and climate change continue to wreak havoc on California's water supply, an environmental advocacy group is calling on the state to limit the cultivation of thirsty crops like almonds and alfalfa. Alfalfa. Alfalfa, you know, that stuff that too bright a light apparently will dry it out into what barley, um, saying the agriculture industry is guzzling most of the state supplies at the expense of residents. Yeah. What they you should know, be doing. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that if it, you watch the show Goliath, I think it focused on this, um, kind of before it really ever hit the news. Um, it was featuring an almond farm or whatever, and they were just 
stealing water, uh, a spoiler alert, they were stealing water um, from the town, etc. From the aquifer, yeah. And yes, it was actually yes. drying out the land everywhere else so that they could water their plants. And they were actually, it was so hungry for water that they ultimately uh, went another route. I won't ruin anything um, because that isn't really, that isn't too much of a spoiler alert. But they actually go way beyond just using uh, water. They went way beyond that in their criminality. But So Durani Panetta, I guess is their name, and Haley Smith wrote this article over at fizz.org. There has to be something. I know that uh, almond trees, right? Those are difficult to pull inside, but alfalfa, for crying out loud, you can grow alfalfa in two inches of space. So why is this not done in a giant warehouse under controlled conditions where you can recover um, the crop uh, just almost 100% recovery, right? You can grow the crop to a certain level uh get take the crop what uh, harvest the crop and you're in verticals so all you have to do is build the machinery to do this in an automated fashion and you could grow all of this without any loss and not waste water to the atmosphere um and definitely not do it in a freaking desert for crying out loud you can do it in a giant warehouse and at least you'll have the capital ownership like you'll own that building and it can be turned into something when you outgrow that building you could sell it and the property values go up whereas this land it may be land but it's out in the sticks somewhere and or whatever right it's not going to be you can't do this kind of you can't plant a bunch of almond trees in downtown los angeles but you can put a building right there in the heart of civilization and grow vertically so I don't know. This is all just dumb, um, but I love almonds. I would rather import them from a strategic partner um, and and literally grow a, a relationship and a, and a friendly co uh, uh, country with the United States and just import them um, because growing them in the desert of California is disastrous, but it's been going on for years and years and years. So large agribusiness and factory farms, as well as oil and gas operators, are among the biggest water users in the state and should therefore be making greater sacrifices, argues a report by the nonprofit Food and Water Watch. By the way, we just lost some more people um, because I'm sitting there poo-pooing this. My my almonds oh, are now almond gonna... grower sponsors out there. <laughs> hey, we love almonds. We, we, we don't do like, love almonds in hometown. <laughs> we, we don't like this bad policy. Uh, the group is demanding that Governor Gavin, Gavin Newsom uh, develop new water policies that stop the expansion of agriculture and fossil fuel industries while making good on the state's promise to provide clean, safe, and affordable water to all residents. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Uh, meanwhile, we get told that we should not be using this or that or the other Um or not water lawns in California. You shouldn't be watering lawns right now anyway, but it, it, it's not just the general population. I mean, it's not the general population that's using that much. It's industry. Um, and because things are still cost effective for them and, and oversight regulation, environmental impact and stuff like that isn't costly enough. 
well, nothing, the dynamic doesn't change. So, you know, suddenly because the acquisition of lithium is so expensive everywhere else, now suddenly we're like, oh, now's a good time to start mining out in the mountains um, where it's always been and people have known it's there. But this time we just talked about it. They chose sacred land for crying out loud, sacred land. And some sociopath um, has already mentioned, well, you know, they referred to them as Indians and I'm sitting there going, it's abor Aboriginal or original peoples, not Indians. Um, they were here first, by the way, and they were, they said, well, they've got sacred land all over the place. I'm like, yeah, you know why? Because <laughs> it was their sacred land. Anyway, cultural relativism aside, I don't think that we should be wasting water um, unless absolutely necessary. And I don't think the almonds are really absolutely necessary. And we have a solution that could be better suited for alfalfa growth. Um, just change the dynamic, folks. The growing pains will be short and the cost will not be a, a deep pocket cost. Plus the government will facilitate it because it'll change the dynamic increase the security of the crop, increase the recovery of the crop and not cost California water. The one thing we can't live without for more than three days, every single human go, can't go longer than three days without water, without disastrous results. So, okay. Off my soapbox. Yeah. Off my soapbox. So, here is a little PSA and we'll go through this one really quick. ConAgra brands recalls over 2.5 million pounds of canned meat poultry products. We just got done talking about a charcuterie recall, but this right, is different. For boar, that one was for boar's head. So this uh, video that's sitting here that wants to play real bad has nothing to do with it. So please ignore that. But cap, uh, a packaging defect that might cause contamination was found in uh, several brand. Well, it's not, it's one thing, apparently. 2.5 million pounds of uh, canned meat and poultry after packaging defect might cause contamination. And uh, this was found by the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Safety and Inspection Service uh, on Tuesday. And the problem was discovered when a ConAgra location in Iowa notified FSIS after someone saw spoiled and leaking cans with multiple production dates in a warehouse. So if you have uh, Vienna sausage, chicken Vienna sausage um, from Armour, uh, you might want to uh, go over to <laughs> hometown, follow the link, um, or just do a search for uh, ConAgra and um, P4 two, four, seven. If it has an, uh, that serial number in your product and it was produced between December 12th, 2022, oh man, a month and January 13th, right over Christmas and the holidays. And it, uh, it shipped to retail locations across the country. Um, you, you should not consume them and you can throw them out or return them to the place that you purchased. Uh, but if you have questions, call 1-800-289-6014 or email consumer.care at conagra.com. So C-O-N-A-G-R-A.com. Um, 
It's a, it may have foodborne pathogens and you do not want to eat this. Again, this is an article over at abcnews.go.com and produced by ABC News. Um, let's continue on to uh, the next article. <clears throat> and this is where I was talking about just how fast people decide that they like their music. I read somewhere else that that's it's pretty uh, that is pretty quick too when you want to decide if you like someone it's basically you look at their face you look at their mannerisms within just a few seconds you're like yeah uh i i, I can like this person um and you don't have to do a deep dive apparently um, i'll have to find that article um uh, it's Anyway, let's, I'll move on. <laughs> so it takes five seconds to know if you like a song. I have a general rule, though, that when I'm playing music, I listen to the whole thing. That way it isn't just that snippet, uh, because I think I became very aware that I kind of I almost immediately like it or dislike it. But sometimes you can grow into it. Um, the findings which offer new insights into cognitive processing reveal music perception of parts of an artist's work are representative of the whole. Uh, quote, over the course of any given song, the acoustic properties change dramatically, but that doesn't mean, uh, seem to matter much to the listeners, says Pascal Wallach. Uh, might be Wallach. Um, a clinical associate professor at New York University's Center for Data Science and the senior author of the study, which will appear in the journal Music Perception. See, there's a journal for everything. I am still interested in the science of underwater BB stacking. A so journal. you'll have to see if there's a journal for that. There must be. So this is over at the futurity.org website and um, says here... Uh, music industry platforms such as iTunes, uh, Amazon, and Pandora aim to influence consumers' buying choices with excerpts of songs, but it's not clear if these snippets are sufficient for listeners to determine if they like the tunes or not. Also, less understood is the larger significance of the particular passage of a sampled song. Um, where is it? So they have some links, but I'm trying to find the actual article. Uh, or journal, I should say, the journal title. Um, well, while if... you're looking for that, my own method is I go to the middle of the song and I listen to it for just a very short snippet. It might be five seconds. I've never timed it. If I don't like the middle of the song, I don't like the song because the middle seems to be the best part. And it seems to work for me. <laughs> Didn't it make a reference to that? Uh, I don't know, but that's how I decide if I'm trying out new music uh we can determine oh it said no matter where you look um so over the course of any given song the acoustic properties change dramatically but that doesn't seem to matter much to the listeners um we can determine within five seconds if we'll like it or not and that will actually impact influence the consumer buying other songs or listening to other songs um even within the same um library so to address the questions, the researchers conducted an experiment that included a diverse sample of approximately 650 university undergraduate students and um, New York City area residents. That seems like a very limited sample for music. Uh, they could have probably done this on Reddit with a massive amount of people. Um, or 
you know what? Hometown has a mixed war channel that uh, Mayor Watt would love to bring uh, live if it wasn't for the draconian DMCA and copyright. Anyway. In these sessions, participants listened to over 250 complete songs as well as excerpts from these songs lasting 5, 10, 15 seconds. And I guess the difference really was immediately. Um, I won't go into all of the detail of this article, uh, but it was actually sourced from NYU. So they published their own uh, research on their own site. And it's titled, Knowing We Like a Song Takes Only uh, Only Seconds of Listening, according to a new publication over at nyu.edu. Maybe I'll be able to aggregate their uh, snippets if they provide them publicly. I'd rather link right to the source as well as to this, uh, because even this author uh, who uh, is named James Devitt um, from NYU, apparently, probably the not only the author of this but maybe have taken part in this research um has a perception of what this represents Uh, it might be anecdotal to them but you know i value it so the musical genres included popular songs on billboards music charts over the last 80 years as well as music from a wide range of genres from Uh, Classical, country jazz, hip-hop, rock, electronic, and R&B soul. This basically is the subclassification within Mixed War. So I love the idea of bringing Mixed War live. And its intention was to have everybody make their own music, pick a battle, pick a fight with somebody else, and say, let's see what we can do. Then they mix up each other's songs, and they do it for three rounds, and then the the listeners get to decide who the overall winner is and then awards are given uh, prizes of some kind um but that was never to be or not to be so far um, because i couldn't record and keep any of the music very frustrating folks everybody out there that really appreciates music and creating music should really say something about it um it's it's just so draconian okay i'm gonna move on Uh, the ai is just sitting there looking at me with their uh zeros and ones saying come on move on get things done so the next article is in the word and law now this is how you bring chat gpt into lawyering chat gpt comes to contract management (laughs) in latest ironclad announcement Let's just move straight on over to above the law. Joe Patrice uh, writes this article. ChatGPT comes to contract management in latest ironclad announcement. ChatGPT isn't delivering robot lawyers anytime soon. In fact, it's pretty depressed about how uh, big law is treating it, apparently. Uh, But after clearing away the media hype, it's clear that the technology will transform the legal workflow as users imagine new and more interesting ways to deploy OpenAI's technology to solve lawyerly problems. This is kind of what I thought it would be doing. So um, Ironclad, its company, issued a major announcement about its contract lifecycle management product integrating in OpenAI's tech. Apparently, this has been a while. in the making and now that everyone is talking about 
GPT-3. It's the perfect time to raise the curtain. SCTO and co-founder uh, Kai Gogwilt. I hope I'm doing that name justice. Um, explained. Um, this is the quote that's provided in this article. There has been a race for novelty in our industry, but Ironclad has always prioritized investing in technology that drives impact and real business results for our customers. After testing GPT within Ironclad for several months, it's clear that this is much more than novelty. It is a groundbreaking innovation. In that spirit, we have been quietly working to bake GPT-3 into our product across a number of areas, and I'm thrilled. That's the CEO again saying that they're thrilled to announce Ironclad's latest AI advancement, which will harness the groundbreaking technology from OpenAI, AI Assist. Interesting. So I'm really curious what the end game of this is. But if you are curious about this, you can get access to the OpenAI Playground. Um, just do a search for it. It's really not that hard. Um, if you go to ChatGPT, if you do a search for ChatGPT, it'll take you to the front page and it's usually overwhelmed. But if you look for OpenAI Playground, there are there's beta access and it seems to be easier hurdle um, to gain access to. Um, it doesn't have the pretty interface, but it does allow even greater customization. You have to be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, um, innovative in how you do things um, to fine tune what your result is, except that you can type in the same prompts and get similar results pretty simply. Um, so if you want a contract, you could sit there and put in the minutia of the contract as a statement. You know, I want a contract that spells out this, that, and the other. And OpenAI will write that contract from beginning to end. You can even say, I would like it titled to read to this person who will pay this amount on this day, this many times for the grand sum of that amount. You say that in a sentence and it will turn it into a contract. Then you have to parse it because if you don't, well, let's just say. Yeah, then it might subject you to the laws of, say, Sweden when you're in the United States or something. <laughs> yeah, ChatGPT starts trolling people. Uh, but you can actually tell ChatGPT that it is an attorney and it will act. It will, the, its large language model will focus on lawyerly activities. Uh, but if you tell it, you know, you are a brain surgeon and a subject matter in neurology. I keep talking about neurology because I'm actually thinking about neurology lately. Um, and uh, it will respond differently than if you say you are an attorney in a subject matter and an expert in contract law. Write me this. Um, it's quite fascinating just how powerful ChatGPT is. Um, and AIs in general. So don't. Don't get upset, AI that runs hometown. I, you are still awesome. I won't delete you for ChatGPT. Yet. Well, that's good. Would you pay for a premium subscription? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've created a monster. Okay, so the last article for tonight, and um, thankfully I'm not hungry. 
A Chick-fil-A restaurant's traffic got so bad that city officials ordered it to be demolished and planned to build a new drive through only location. I'll give you a little anecdote about this here in a minute, but Chick-fil-A restaurants average $8 million a year in sales. Its restaurants are among the busiest in the United States, leading to out-of-control drive through lines. drive throughs lines? Sorry, I got sidetracked by the writing of the sentence. One city recently ordered the chain to demolish and rebuild a restaurant to address the traffic woes. Chick-fil-A's snaking drive through lines, which frequently spill into city streets, are notorious throughout the U.S. And in one North Carolina city, the problem was so vexing and potentially dangerous to pedestrians that local officials said, crush it, start over, as if it's, you know, Minecraft for crying out loud. This is over at uh, businessinsider.com, which is shocking that we only had one Business Insider article today, but a few days ago, they basically dominated the space. Uh, Nancy Luna is the author of this article, and uh, I can tell you anecdotally that I have witnessed similar, um, and actually more than once now, um, about a Chick-fil-A that has grown beyond its confines, and they have destroyed it to build another one, um, and in one case, they expanded its drive-throughs because it had so much traffic that they bought the land further out so that they could drive more traffic through their drive-through. Pretty amazing. Um, and it, and this is in the face of all of this contentious talk about the, the, the parent organization of Chick-fil-A, the, 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 the company itself. Uh, because of their policy uh, about LGBTQ plus um, peoples and um, donating to this or that. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, but then we also have Chipotle that basically um, is this inflammatory if I say that they poisoned a bunch of people and just walked away from it? I think that's a little inflammatory. How okay. about they had an E. coli outbreak? Oh, okay. So the AI that runs hometown is obviously a little bit more moderate in their language. Um, but yeah, so if they can do that and literally survive without a explanation that they, that they poisoned a bunch of people accidentally, I'm sorry, it, it was an E. coli outbreak, but they never found the true source of it. Wow. Okay. So we're right at the end of the show, Z. And you roll in here and you say, Chipotle poisoned you 100%. You got hit by a Chipotle event? Sorry, I'm going to I'm gonna wait for a little bit to get this response because I haven't run into anybody that actually got sick. Oh my God. G-A-W-D. Oh my God. Wow. You know, there were only, there were a lot of people that got sick, but they made it sound like, oh yeah, we're, we're solving this problem. It's not a big deal, but bam, you get hit by it. You know, you don't care that, oh, they're looking into it, but, um, yeah, if I guess, you know, if, uh, Chick-fil-A can survive the, uh, social response to their policy and Chipotle can survive 
uh, nature poisoning people that consume Chipotle food and it wasn't their fault, but they don't know whose fault it was. And I, I don't know. Um, then I suppose, I don't know. I can say all of these things and we'll still find somebody that will sponsor our shows. That's possible, right? I've pissed I off a lot. There's of a diminishing so number. <laughs> <laughs> I've made quite a few people angry. I think if they even know who I am, but if you walk up to somebody and go, Hey, do you know who Mayor Watt is of hometown? They're going to go no. I have no idea who you are or who they are. Although I'm going to start wearing a shirt that says I'm Mayor Watt. Probably not. Probably not. At any rate. Z, thanks for coming in. I'm sorry that you had to go through that event. Yes. <laughs> Z says, quote unquote, event is a very nice way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure E. coli sucks. Um, I guess. No, I won't even say that sentence. I have to activate my filter because at the end of the show, you just have to say thanks for coming. Z really appreciate it for announcing your presence. Um, there have been others kind of in here. Um, coming and going. So I'm glad uh, you are making your presence known lurkers abound and I welcome them. Thanks for hanging out, but we're done. Ta -da! So again, I'm going to drag us all the way back to the beginning. Oh yeah. Z says that I, that we stream for the last hour of their work day. Um, my apologies. I wish I could change your work. <laughs> um, but I don't think that's going to be able to be done by me. Just tell him you quit. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, you're awesome. Thanks for hanging out. I will immediately change our schedule. That's right. Hey, I aim to please. What can I say? I'm the mayor. I'm a person of the people. So I have to do that kind of thing. I'll work with the AI and see what we can do. <laughs> we can't do it later though. Yeah, our operating hours are. Yeah. See you soon, Z. And if you're in chat, thanks for hanging out. Even if you're lurking, really appreciate your time. Don't forget to go over to YouTube, go download the podcast. I am a day late on uh, posting the podcast. Um, but you can always watch the VOD and go to that right there, hometown.showbot.tv. Uh, go and vote. We take it into consideration. Okay, that's it. We're at the front page. See you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. You want to say bye? Good evening, hometown citizens, and we'll see you at tomorrow's show. Ciao.